It was a recipe for disaster. This movie, a four course <laughs> meal of no siree. This movie, it was a cup <laughs> of good intentions. This movie, a tablespoon of one big mess. This movie, a dash of overreaction. This movie, and I assume you know the rest. This movie? Pod little cast. <laughs> Pod little cast. It was a fusion of confusion with a few confounding things. <laughs> I actually know this song. I like this song. Yep. I like the Bare Naked Ladies. That is the band that does the song. Yes, it's an original song for this movie, and I've listened to it a lot just because I, I like the band and was more or less aware of this movie. Yeah. And I think it's a pretty good song, yep. honestly. Yeah. I, I think it's deeply uncool to like the bare naked ladies now, but you <laughs> legally can't stop me. Deeply uncool. Oh, yeah. You have no idea. I also like you, too. How about that, podcast listeners? Let's start <laughs> the show on that. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to Me, Mom, and the Mouse, a podcast about the uh, of watching cartoons <laughs> with your family. We're watching every film in the Disney animated canon and talking about how it was made, what it means, and why we love it or don't. <laughs> my name is Isaac Coleman, and I'm joined as always by my mother, Rue Coleman. Hello. It's bad, Mom. <laughs> it's been bad, and it is bad. Yeah. And we want to give a special shout out to our editor, Brad Murray at Oak Studios. Thanks for all the work that you do. And, you know, just leave us some ammo, a little water, some chips if you have them. <laughs> the other quote I was going to go with is saying P 137 times. No, thanks. You sure? Yeah. He can cut it in. No, thanks. This week on the program, we are continuing Oh, are we ever continuing <laughs> Disney's experimental era with 2005's Chicken Little, directed by Mark Dindle. Poor guy. Poor guy. I was, I, I'll be honest, last night I was kind of making fun of Mark Dindle because yeah. I looked at his filmography and I was like, okay, he made Cats Don't Dance. I really like that movie. Mm -hmm. He made The Emperor's New Groove, kind of a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. Then he makes Chicken Little, which is garbage. <laughs> it is merely... Eh. Uh, it's it's the reasonable people. It sucks. It sucks. <laughs> but uh, the next two movies he's working on are the Chris Pratt Garfield movie, which is not promising, not a promising series of words. Mm -hmm. And the Funko Pop movie, <sighs> even less promising. So I was like, what happened to this guy? Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know. Why he's doing the two movies he's doing other than I think my man needs the work, unfortunately. <laughs> but Chicken Little, I reading today about the history of Chicken Little, it's not his fault. And in fact, this working on this movie appears to have been genuinely traumatizing to him. So I'm genuinely sorry to, to Mark Dindle. Not that he listens to this podcast, but mom, enough about what this movie means to its director. What does it mean to you? <laughs> Not a ton, really. Um, I'm pretty sure we did see it in theaters or at least very recently after it came out. I remember it being a rental after it came out. Which is also a high possibility. 
I feel like I remember it being all right when we first saw it. Not a favorite, but like, eh, that was okay. And when we watched it, though, this week, it's like, oh, it's so many dated jokes. Yes. Like the humor is very 2005. (laughs) It is so 2005. It is 2005. The animation looks better than I thought it would still. I felt like it seemed like they were trying to stretch the CGI medium a little bit. Like there were definitely shots and some of the ways things looked that I didn't expect, even though this was the first full Disney CGI movie. So I feel like the animation looked better than I expected. But overall, it just doesn't really hold up. It wasn't ever great to begin with. (laughs) Yep. But I don't hate it like you do. (laughs) Well, I'll say so. Yes, my history with this movie, as I recall, we rented this, watched it once as a rental. We were, I think, all solidly in the camp of sure, whatever that killed 90 minutes. I remember us thinking Turkey Lurkey was funny, which I still think he's probably the funniest part of the movie. Could use a lot more of him, to be honest, could use a lot more Don Knotts in this movie. It's true. But, you know, whatever. We thought it was fine. For whatever reason, I watched it in college. I can't remember what on earth possessed me to watch it. (laughs) I really have been trying. Maybe it was playing somewhere and I watched it. Maybe I watched it intentionally. And I was like, oh, this is garbage. This is horrendous. (laughs) And then I went around for a while telling people, This is absolutely the worst Disney movie. Chicken Little is just like (laughs) apocalyptically bad. Watching it last night, I've definitely mellowed on it. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's as bad as Fox and the Hound. No. And I don't even think it's as bad as Brother Bear. I think it's a lot worse than Home on the Range, but we're kind of splitting hairs. Like, I, I feel like watching the whole canon in order it's like i've readjusted my expectations <laughs> we've seen so much badness and like uh, definitely you know i also when i watched it in college i was struck hideous the animation looked and how you know this is very like i i think of this as the dawn of cgi it's really not because no, if you think not. about it pixar's been making movies for over a decade but obviously yes. as you say it's It's sort of it's technically the first fully CGI animated Disney film. I still say dinosaur counts. I don't care if they use the real backgrounds. Dinosaur is mostly CGI. Come on, I've seen people be like dinosaur was a mixture of live action and animation. No, it was an animated. I mean, yes, technically was that, but it's an animated movie like. Yep. I don't know. But as neither here nor there, but I was struck by how bad it looked and I still think it looks pretty bad. But uh, I agree with you. It was not as bad as I expected. I think once you've seen Dinosaur, like (laughs) everything resets your whole spectrum of bad. But even still, you know, like Tarzan looks pretty bad. Like it's just kind of experimental era badness. It doesn't it's not as horrible as I thought it was. I mean, things don't look a lot of the faces are a little bit, I don't know, flat. Their eyes are weird a lot of the times, but the overall aesthetic of the movie, I feel like they were going for a specific theme again. You know how with 
Treasure Planet, they had a whole art style they were copying and several of the other recent experimental era movies are the same way. I feel like they were doing that in this one, too, just with CGI instead. But I could be wrong. Well, yeah, they were trying to do some stuff. The the main thing you have to understand is that they were teaching themselves CGI as they made this movie. Almost nobody who worked on this movie had previously worked in CGI. Certainly the director hadn't. Very, very few of the animators had. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I think they did the best they could. Yeah. I think most of the people working on this movie did the best they could in horrendous circumstances. (laughs) Anyway, so I, I mellowed on this movie a little bit last night just because, like, if you, you know, mostly just have watched and remember the good Disney movies and then you watch this, you're like, wow, that's horrible. <laughs> if you've seen all the Disney movies, you're like, whatever. Pain and suffering follow us everywhere we go. <laughs> Chicken Little might as well happen. <laughs> uh, however, I do still hold to my opinion, which I think at this point we've rendered pretty undeniable. Brother Bear, Home on the Range, Chicken Little is the worst three movie stretch of the entire Disney canon, and I am so excited to watch Meet the Robinsons next week, <laughs> a just okay movie. <laughs> it's going to be a great movie when we watch it. You know it is. Exactly. It's We're going to be like, this has multiple successful jokes. <laughs> but yeah, Chicken Little. So let's let's talk about the history of this. So right after the emperor's new groove the director mark dindle and producer randy fulmer who we talked about a lot in that were gonna start working on a new project and they wanted to keep kind of the irreverent spirit and humor of that project but apply it to something brand new right you know something that was fully their idea by the way most of this information comes from a 2020 article kind of an oral history about it although it mostly just talks to dindle and randy a little bit yeah from november 9th 2020 published by collider by drew taylor and i was really glad to see it because i think it's a really interesting like it is the article's whole point is like yeah this movie's awful but it's kind of interesting and it's kind of important just for being disney's first Computer animated film, asterisk, asterisk. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, uh, with that attribution out of the way, so the, right after Emperor's New Groove, they wanted to make another movie, and apparently they pretty quickly settled on this idea of let's do something based on the story of Chicken Little. Yep. Or if you're in Europe, the story of Henny Penny. But here in America, is Chicken Little. Mm-hmm. Classic story of Chicken Little, of course, is that Chicken Little or Henny Penny or whoever gets hit by an acorn uh, on the head, thinks that the sky is falling. Usually in the most common version, goes to tell the king that the sky is falling, picks up a bunch of animal friends with writing rhyming names along the way. And they go to the king and whatever. Everybody thinks the sky is falling because Chicken Little tells them so. And usually they get tricked by a fox who's like, Oh, you'll be safe from the falling sky if you come into this cave one at a time and I eat you. Yep. And then they go into the cave one at a time and they eat them. And it's a, you know, it's a moral about like, don't freak out over dumb moral panics that don't have any actual evidence, (laughs) you know. Don't uh, don't be taken in by bad actors who are going to exploit your uh, unfounded fears. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly not a story that has any relevance in 2022, <laughs> nor a story that would have had any relevance 
in the George W. Bush administration whatsoever. So anyway, we're making Chicken Little and there were a few different ideas that they went through. One weird early idea involved aliens and that's why they think the sky is falling but they abandoned that idea for being dumb pretty quickly and mark dindle comes up with this story he's really passionate about it as of 2020 he's still like i think this could have worked yeah which was a father-daughter story because you have to understand he has two daughters yeah and he says that his first daughter was kind of a very nervous, anxious kid who was prone to like overreacting. And so he reads the story of Chicken Little and he's like, hey, that's that's what that is. Yeah. So his version of the story involved uh, Chicken Little has the acorn thing happen. She wants to make her dad proud. So she signs herself up to a summer camp called Camp Yes You Can uh, to build her confidence. When she goes there, she finds that the very friendly sheep counselors have been abducted and wolves in sheep clothing have taken over the camp with the very silly idea to plump the kids up to cook them at the end for a big wolf feast. <laughs> and she ends up saving the day. Uh, so this was Dindle's version of the story. It would have been very silly. Again, it would have been Emperor's new groovy in tone. But the central idea was very shy, very scared girl learns to build up her confidence and save the day. Mm -hmm. Perfectly fine framework for a movie. They had cast uh, Holly Hunter as Chicken Little. Would have been very interesting. Yep. They cast Gary Marshall as the father. That, of course, made it into the movie. They had cast Penn Gillette as the lead wolf, which, yeah, okay, I can see that. <laughs> and it had been storyboarded and basically finished as a movie. And they showed it to Michael Eisner, and another thing that's important is when they show it to Michael Eisner, uh, they also show it to David Stainton and Thomas Schumacher, who we've talked about. He'd been with Walt Disney Animation since 1990. Pretty bad person, but generally well liked by the animators yeah. and whatever. I mean, I think in large part because as we've talked about, he pretty much let them do whatever they want for good and for ill <laughs> and for ill and for ill. And technically, he'd been with Walt Disney Animation in some form or another since 1990. He left to go focus on the company's Broadway productions and in his place. That was his passion. Yes. And I believe he's still in charge of that today or has a high ranking position there, despite mm -hmm. several credible allegations of bad behavior. And in his place, he installed David Stainton, who had been with Disney since 1989. He was a pure business guy. He steps in and his number one priority is we need to make money. And so he does a bunch of stuff the animators don't like, such as closing the Florida studio and making the whole studio focus exclusively on computer animation because that's the trend. Yeah. And so Eisner's initial demand is he wants Chicken Little to be a boy. Now, we've talked about Eisner at this time. He's spending like maybe an hour on your movie and he feels like he has to have an opinion so people know he hasn't lost his touch and don't feel like he's, you know, a brain damaged person who is stretching himself way too thin and doesn't really care about anything that's happening at the company anymore and has no personal investment in it. Imagine if people thought that. <laughs> and so his note, which I think he gave just to give a note is I don't want it to be a girl. I want it to be a boy. 
And he says, girls will go see a movie with a boy protagonist, but boys won't see a movie with a girl protagonist, which is a thing he believed. This comes up several times in Disney War. Now, this isn't true. No. Uh, Cinderella made tons of money. Snow White and the Seven Doors made tons of money. Little Mermaid made tons of money. Beauty and the Beast made tons of money. Mm -hmm. There are all kinds of female protagonist movies. And, you know, Dindle and uh, Fulmer were like, but at the same time, Glenn Kane is working on his Rapunzel movie. Yeah. Like, why don't you want him to change it to a boy? So it was a complete, you know, it was just saying something to say something to some extent. But they they had to do it. Mm-hmm. And then they show it to Stainton or they show it to Stainton on the same day. The article is a little unclear about that, but they have a screening for Stainton on like either his first or second day. And of course he wants to make the movie his movie, right? He doesn't want it to be Schumacher's movie. He wants it to be David Stainton's movie. So he wants them to completely get rid of everything they had. Uh, He calls the movie a train wreck. He belittles Dindle. And he made everyone feel really, really horrible. And wasn't it his idea to switch everything over to computer animation? Well, not his idea, but like his direction. Yes. Uh, As I mentioned, he wanted the whole studio to go to computer animation. Yes. And so, yes, that was the other thing he did. And so basically, Dindle has now been told, we really like your movie, except you can't uh, keep the protagonist. Mm -hmm. You can't make it a movie about the father-daughter relationship that, again, was like a personal thing for him. Right. So you can't do that. And you also can't keep any elements of the story. Like, it's not just, you know, do the same story, but swap the gender, which like, okay, that's annoying. We can't use Holly Hunter, but Mm -hmm. we can still use the same basic movie. It's not like it changes things that much. You have to come up with a completely different story. So they go back to the alien idea. Mm -hmm. They talk a bit more about the version of the movie that originally had the aliens, but I I don't think it's that important. But they go back to that. Yeah. And uh, Dindle basically tried to combine the science fiction movie with some of the character stuff from the movie he actually wanted to make. And that, of course, led to the movie we now know and no. <laughs> and so it was cobbled from several disparate parts. According to Dindle, the three credited writers were assisted by six more writers, and they were also just constantly getting studio notes the whole time. Uh, apparently, they did one screening where they got back 75 notes from the studio afterwards. Pretty crazy. And it was just happening constantly and... <laughs> There's there's a there's a quote in the article where Randy Fulmer says David Stainton had some bad ideas. I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) That's all he's willing to say about it. Yeah. But I think part of the thing is like so they probably couldn't push back. Dindle and Fulmer felt like if they push back against any of this stuff, one, the movie would probably be shut down. But two, they were like, okay, but we dealt with all this stuff while making Emperor's New Groove and we still made a great movie out of it. Right. So we can do that again, right? And unfortunately, I think that was kind of a lightning in a bottle thing and that had other stuff helping it work. Uh, This one clearly never really came together. And then, of course, as I said, there was the computer animation thing where basically nobody working on the movie had ever worked in computer animation because that was the new hotness and we got to catch up to Pixar and we got to catch up to DreamWorks. Uh, DreamWorks. 
And so they took what was left of the crew of Dinosaur and kind of had them teach the traditional animators on the job while the traditional animators were also teaching the dinosaur people principles of animation. And Dindal and Fulmer also had these very ambitious ideas for what they wanted to do with computer animation. Well, the biggest things they wanted to do was squash and stretch, which for anyone who doesn't know this, this comes from the 12 principles of animation uh, that were written by... Uh, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston, who we talked about like a year ago. (laughs) And squash and stretch is this animation idea where like characters squash and they stretch, but they always retain their volume. So uh, in the uh, making of special features, one of the scenes they talk about really doing this is on the dodgeball court when Goosey Lucy or Lucy Goosey, whatever her name is. But the goose (laughs) character (laughs) picks up Chicken Little bounces him several times like a ball and you know he squashes and stretches there and then like throws him into the window and he squashes flat yeah that kind of classic very exaggerated you know looney tunes or classic disney animation style yeah that looks very funny and then puts a lot of humor into the characters yeah which is a good idea but the technology wasn't there yet and the skill of their team wasn't there yet right It's actually really hard to do squash and stretch in uh, CGI. Some movies have managed to do it more recently. The Hotel Transylvania movies famously uh, do it because they had a great animation director behind them in Jendi Tartakovsky, although at least from the one of those movies I've seen, which is the first one, it was unwatchable. (laughs) I was like, yes, my fellow animation nerds are right. This looks really great. Unfortunately, there's a movie happening and it's (laughs) so bad. It's so bad. So painful. So very chicken little. Ah, yes. And a movie that I think does that very successfully in CGI. That's also a really good, really funny movie is Storks. Oh, yes. Our beloved Storks, which does a great job making CGI really, really funny Mm -hmm. and using it for that. Yes. Which, you know, I want to be clear. Sometimes people say like, oh, Isaac hates CGI. I don't hate CGI. I think that bad CGI is often more boring than bad 2D. And I don't like some of the stuff people do with CGI, but like it can look great. Yeah. And I think what they were trying was a really good idea. But like everything else on this movie, it just wasn't coming together. And they were working in such a miserable environment. And oh, and don't forget. 11 months before the movie came out, they had to put it in 3D as well. Yes, exactly. So then there's that, which is just like... Really? Really? (laughs) This is also well before the 3D craze. I genuinely don't know what they were thinking. But yeah, 11 months before the release, let's also make a a 3D transfer for it. Yeah. Let's have ILM do that. But I did want to say also most of the animators working at Disney did not want to switch to computer animation because it wasn't what they were doing. It wasn't what they were good at. And they were like, we still have so much we can do with hand drawn animation. Mm -hmm. And so there's this famous meeting on April 4th, 2003, where Glenn Keane gathered a whole bunch of animators into a conference room and did a seminar called The Best of Both Worlds, where he tried to get the computer animators and the traditional animators to get along basically. (laughs) And he was like, no, there's really cool ways we can use these two things together. Look at my own movie, Rapunzel unbraided, Mm -hmm. which is 
using CGI to approximate brushstrokes. And that's definitely how that movie will look when it comes out. <laughs> and also Chris Sanders's American Dog, which is using the CGI in 2D to imitate the style of these classic American Western artists. That movie will definitely come out looking like that and won't be called Bolt and Chris Sanders will make it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of sad because the stuff he's pointing to like, oh, no, look, see, this is all the cool stuff we could do with this technology didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, and those movies come out looking pretty generic, although, of course, Tangled is an awesome movie despite that. Mm hmm. Uh, but it's not the most visually inventive movie, in my opinion. Anyway, on top of all this, if you can believe it. Um, oh, also, I just have to throw this crazy notion in here. Um, Aflac offered the production millions of dollars if they put the Aflac duck in the background of scenes. <laughs> like in every crowd scene, they had the Aflac duck. <laughs> and that was apparently the one big thing where Dindal was like, I am not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm just not putting the Aflac duck in the movie. <laughs> there was all this horrible chaos. And on top of this, Disney wanted to use this movie to I, we talked a little bit last week about the difficulties between Disney and Pixar mm -hmm. and Eisner had basically torpedoed the working relationship with Pixar. Eisner, by the way, is ousted like just before this movie comes out. This is technically the first Bob Iger movie, but obviously not in a meaningful sense. Yeah. And this was very much seen both inside Disney and outside Disney is like if Chicken Little does well, that will drive down the cost of buying Pixar because Disney will be like, oh, well, we don't really need you. We can make our own great CGI movies. Mm -hmm. And if it does poorly, it will drive up the cost of Pixar because Pixar, you know, Steve Jobs will be like, you can't do anything without Pixar. Pay me my price. Yeah. And uh, guess what? <laughs> it actually did pretty well. It did. Uh, it, it definitely made its budget back, but. It was critically savaged. It was despised. And it was one of those things where it did pretty well on the first weekend or two because people were like, oh, new Disney movie. But the word of mouth was just toxic <laughs> and it was hated. And sure enough, Disney ended up having to pay Pixar a ton of money. Bob Iger had to beg Pixar uh, and, and negotiate with them completely on their terms. And of course, put Pixar people in charge of Disney animation. Next week, we're really going to talk about John Lasseter. Yep. And again, even from this, you know, these interviews in 2020, like basically Randy Fulmer left Disney and left the movie business entirely because this was just such a completely miserable experience. Dindal left Disney to work on some live action movies for Paramount that never went anywhere. And you know, now he's trying to make the Funko Pop movie and <laughs> he's clearly still heartbroken. Like the original version of Chicken Little, he still like loves and he still thinks it would have been a good movie. Obviously, who knows for sure. But I mean, he's clearly like this interview is so sad. I'm trying not to make this a downer episode, but he's legitimately traumatized. I really have nothing but sympathy for everyone who worked on this movie with the notable exceptions of Michael Eisner <laughs> and David Stainton. Yep. It definitely seems like this movie happened on a real transition point for Disney. And so it 
just went through so many forms and shapes. And it's kind of amazing they even managed to finish the movie at all. Right. Rather than just having it get dropped or dumped somewhere along the way. Yeah. And I mean, this movie feels studio noted to death. Like there's so much stuff in it where you're like, well, why is this here? Well, why is that here? Well, this story doesn't make any sense at all. And, you know, it's so chasing DreamWorks and it's chasing Pixar a bit, too. It's clearly just not people who are making creative decisions, but people who are going, well, the big movies right now do this, do that. I mean, at least it's not a direct remake of the original Disney Chicken Little short, which was a propaganda short from 1943. <laughs> it's true. It's true. This is Disney's second uh, crack at Chicken Little. Ha ha. Crack. And probably less good, right? I mean, I haven't seen the propaganda movie in a while, but if only by virtue of being six blissful minutes long. <laughs> I think it's closer to 10 or something, but yeah, it's... It's fine. It, I mean, it, it ends with everybody dead. <laughs> How often do they talk about pee in that one? They do not. Okay, sounds better to me. Let's yep. talk about chicken. Oh, no, let's not talk about chicken little. I'm sorry. I, I was so distraught. I skipped over a very important part, which is mom, take us through the cast. <laughs> All righty. Well, we first start with Zach Braff as chicken little who got the role because he, when he was trying out, he actually pitched his voice to sound like he was a middle schooler, junior higher. So I guess they're, they're supposed to be in junior high because I couldn't, you know, confirm that anywhere. <laughs> Zach Breff is kind of a fascinating guy to me. Uh-huh. He obviously, the big thing he did in the 2000s, that's the reason he's in this movie, was, of course, being the main character on the TV show Scrubs. Yep. Which was huge. And pretty funny. I, yeah, I really like Scrubs. Scrubs is like my go-to comfort show. Uh, during quarantine, I bought all the DVDs mm -hmm. used at an exorbitant price. <laughs> the, I have this special edition DVD set that like looks like a clipboard and came with a bunch of swag. And I watched all of Scrubs again because it wasn't streaming anywhere. And it was like... One of the most enjoyable things I did in quarantine, because mm -hmm. it is just it's a very funny show, but it's just clever enough that it's not totally mindless. Yeah, I really like Scrubs and I like him well enough in it, although I think that like Hollywood essentially made a mistake because after Scrubs, he kept getting all this leading man work and he got to direct movies and everybody was like, wow, we got to get Zach Braff and stuff. When really the trick of the show is that he's the relatively straight man reacting to all the other more interesting characters mm -hmm. around him. It was a very ensemble cast in Scrubs. Very ensemble. And like the worst parts of Scrubs are when they do JD centric episodes or JD centric stories, in my opinion, because Braff is funny. He's good, but he's not who you're there for. Like, again, you want to see him reacting to you know, the John C. McGinley character or the mm -hmm. Neil Flynn character who are like the, the actual clear breakouts of the series. Yeah, I think he does a decent job as Chicken Little, though. I don't have a lot of complaints with anybody's voice work in this one. We've had some complaints in previous ones about people's voice work, but I felt like everybody was doing a pretty good job in this, even though they didn't go out and get a bunch of voice actors. 
I feel like the people who they did get to do the voices are good. I think he is pretty committed. Yeah, I, I think that there was an interesting thing in the making of stuff from the DVD where he they were like talking about he can talk so fast and, and showing some of that in the studio. And yeah, you're right that like I can hear that he is definitely the only person trying at all to sound like a child, which I appreciate of the child characters. Yeah. But yeah, I just think he's had a really weird career since then. Like he's directed several movies, most of which you've never heard of. One of which he self-funded basically with a Kickstarter campaign. Mm. He has a Grammy <laughs> for best soundtrack album for Garden State. Yeah. He was in a Woody Allen musical, which is weird. He's dating Florence Pugh, which is weird. He's like a successful podcast host. He's done uh, political work for the Democratic Party. Like, he's a weird, weird guy. He recently <laughs> got a ton of award nominations for directing uh, a show that you love and I like well enough, uh, Ted Lasso. Mm -hmm. So he's like still involved in big projects, but like secretly it's... <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Uh, and he has two movies coming out this year. It's, uh, Cheaper by the Dozen, which I believe is like a Disney Plus. It is. It's on Disney Plus. Original and uh, something called Moonshot. And he's like still direct. I don't know, man. I don't know. Zach Braff. He, he fascinates me because in terms of notoriety, he definitely didn't make it out of the 2000s like most other elements of this here motion picture. Mm -hmm. But... I don't know. He's interesting. And I think it's interesting. This was like, oh, we got to get Zach Braff. Like Zach Braff, he's going to be the guy. He's going to be hot stuff. Everyone's going to want him. You know, this is our chance to get someone like Michael Myers, you know, uh, for Shrek. Like <laughs> we're getting one of the great comedians of our generation. And uh, well, 20 years later, no, no, you didn't. No, <laughs> that's not true. And I say that as someone who likes Zach Braff, but no, no, mm. not correct. And uh, then we have Gary Marshall as Buck Cluck, Chicken Little's father. Uh, he's mostly a writer, director and producer who has also done some acting. <laughs> yeah, this character is horrible. Yeah. And he's... Kind of a weird choice. I mean, he's got a he's got a fun voice to listen to. True. I don't think that's the problem. But the way they wrote Buck Cluck, he is like the worst dad. It's also weird. I don't know. Maybe this is me thinking too much about it. But it's weird that he's so I mean, it's Gary Marshall. So it's so the Bronx, you know? Yeah. And nobody else in the movie talks like that. And it's like this is supposed to be small town and. I don't know. Hey, you're walking here. <laughs> but maybe it's just that the character is so bad that I'm I'm overanalyzing it. I like Gary Marshall. I think you are. I think you're overanalyzing. Don Knotts as Turkey Lurkey. Yay, Don Knotts. Yeah. Of course, a great comedian who was in a ton of good movies and fun things. For Disney, of course, he was in the Apple Dumpling Gang movies and... A, a really fun cameo in Hot Lead and Cold Feet, one of my favorite parts of that movie. Also, of course, in The Incredible Mr. Limpet, where he becomes an animated fish. That's right. He was also on The Andy Griffith Show, which, of course, is where a lot of people remember him from, though I've never seen it. And 
I love How to Frame a Fig. That's a good one. I think that's my favorite of his. I, I love so many Daunt Knotts movies, but How to Frame a Fig is just hysterical. It is. It's a good one, but I don't know of any of his that aren't. <laughs> or at least he's enjoyable in them. And he's enjoyable in this. He totally is. He's totally good in this. It's it's kind of sad. I, I looked this up because I was like, please let this not have been his last movie. And his last movie was Air Buddies. And I was like, oh, that's not any better. <laughs> uh, this was the last movie prior to his death because yeah. uh, Air Buddies came out after. So but you know what? He he totally still had it. I mean, I don't know when exactly they recorded, but he would have been in his late 70s or early 80s. And he like he still has it. He still has the voice. He still has the timing. Yep. We have a very uh, brief role for Patrick Stewart as Mr. Woolensworth, the teacher, which it's such a short bit. I didn't even recognize his voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me neither. Who is, of course, you know, Captain Picard from Star Trek Next Generation. And he's in the X-Men movies as Professor X and a bunch of other things, of course. You will absolutely be paying me my price. <laughs> bah. <laughs> Amy uh, Sedaris, Sedaris. I'm not how, sure how you say her last I name. I believe it's Sedaris. Amy Sedaris as Foxy Loxy. Again, she doesn't do a ton of talking, but she's the the bully. She's in Elf, which I don't care for, but mostly she's been a TV actress. I'm pretty sure I most recently saw her as she's a character in The Mandalorian. Pretty sure she's in season one. She is. She's in The Mandalorian. She's apparently also in the Boba Fett show. Neither of us have watched. Yeah, she's uh, she's done a lot of stuff. She kind of became primarily a voice actor after well in the 2000s clearly because here we are yep and afterwards steve zahn as runt of the litter one of chicken little's friends he's in pixar's the good dinosaur <laughs> <laughs> and uh a movie i watched recently called eight bit christmas i guess not super recently since we watched it during christmas season is all right I don't know too much about Steve Zahn. He's yeah. been in stuff I've seen, but he's not uh, memorable in it by and large, uh, like the good dinosaur. Yeah, he's not most of the things I've seen that he's not like the main character in any of them. <laughs> uh, I think he's pretty bad in this, but I also, I, as with so much of this, I don't know how much of that is his performance and how much of that is like, this is such a bad idea for a character. I think what they were asking him to do, again, watching this special feature about the voice acting, like, is annoying. Like, yeah. the kind of effete voice. I don't think this is good, but whatever. Steve Zahn, it, it, everyone, again, everyone who worked on this, except for the execs, is basically innocent. Yep. Joan Cusack as Abby Mallard, the ugly duckling. She's a very funny actress. I, I love her stuff. Just do her favor and forget she ever did this. Just remember her <laughs> solely as Jessie from Toy Story in terms of her Disney roles. Yep. And Justice Strauss in the series of Unfortunate Events, that Netflix version. And of course, she was in several movies with her brother, John. Mm -hmm. And she is. You're absolutely right. She's great. I yep. mean, her in Adam's Family Values <laughs> is 
so funny. And she's a, you know, as again, I bring up Jesse because like she's a genuinely great voice actor. Oh, she does a great job. Yeah. If you've never seen the like weird TV special Toy Story of Terror that uh, <laughs> focuses on Jesse, really, she gets to show her stuff in that. Yeah. And that's just a good little short in general. So, yeah, again, Joan Cusack is innocent. <laughs> I think she's bad casting in this because I'm trying to believe that this is a child. And I'm like, that's Joan Cusack. <laughs> that's a 30 year old Joan Cusack is who that is. Uh, whatever. Wallace Shawn back to do another principal character. Principal fetch it because <laughs> he's a dog. <laughs> yeah, it almost feels like a Goofy movie reference because he's does. a dog principal again. He's he's not quite as uh, uh, mean in this as he is in the Goofy movie. But, you know, we've talked about him before. Also in Toy Story as Rex and Princess Bride, etc. Is it worth bringing up, you know, Catherine O'Hara for the alien mom? Patrick Warburton for the alien cop? Well, you know what? You just did. You just brought him up. I do think it's interesting that Warburton is in this. Yeah. Because Disney like latches on to these actors. We're going to talk about Alan Tudyk a lot, but they sometimes latch on to an actor and they're like, hey, can you do a small part in our next 20 movies? Obviously, Pixar does this most famously with uh, Ratzenberg. Yep. And I think it's kind of cool that Patrick Warburton was that guy at this time. I kind of wish they kept using him for that because it's <laughs> fun to see him pop up and stuff. But, you know, he's, he's playing a stupid role in this. What what part of this isn't stupid? And of course, they did get Adam West to do Ace, the Hollywood version of Chicken Little, which is really funny. MVP, MVP mm-hmm. of the movie. And the director, Mark Dindle, does the voice of Morcubine Porcupine for three words. (laughs) I mean, one of the funnier parts of the movie as well. It is. He's apparently like one of the really breakout characters. Everybody loves Morcubine Porcupine. (laughs) I guess. They also uh, had the editor, Dan Molina, play Fish Out of Water, which they talked about this in the voice acting thing. It's him with a straw and a water bottle. (laughs) Yep. Just making noises. I think that's pretty much the important people of the cast. Well, we can't put it off any longer. We are required by law to talk about Chicken Little now. First, I want to mention the Walt Disney Pictures logo. This is the last time we see the basically the 80s version of the logo with the castle. It's not exactly the same. They've been changing it for all of these experimental era movies. And so it's kind of 3D, like a little blobby looking, but it is still the same basic shape as we've been seeing. And it's the last time. Farewell. R.I.P. <laughs> and allow me to extend an olive branch. Everyone has heard me complain about the terrible CGI Disney Castle logo that they have now that I, I quite dislike. I like this version of it. Again, it's not the CGI. It's just the boring, long, look at this realistic castle. Not like a fun, you know, idea that communicates something in in kind of a clever way. So, you know, I'll extend Olive Branch. If you go back to the Chicken Little logo, I'll stop throwing bricks at Bob. Well, I'll keep throwing (laughs) bricks at Bob Chappick's house, but for different reasons. (laughs) Do you wish they just kept doing versions of that that were like related to whatever the movie was about. I just want us to have fun with it. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so this one, they start with Once Upon a Time and then they're like, no, that's dumb. And then they start with the Lion King intro and it's like, no, that's dumb. It's Gary Marshall doing the opening narration. And then they start with the book and they're like, no, you can't do a book. Why don't I just start from the day things took a turn for the worse? Yeah. And it's kind of a Shrek intro because Shrek also makes fun of the book. But it's also, in retrospect, this must be what it was like to make this movie. <laughs> you just keep... <laughs> You just keep pitching starts and the studio's like, no, not that. No, you can't do that. Yeah. So Chicken Little is in the bell tower, ringing the bell and shouting, you know, emergency, emergency warning. And apparently everybody in this entire town is extremely paranoid. And when the bell goes off, they all lose their minds and running around like crazy and crashing into stuff. Oh, this town is called Oaky Oaks. Yeah, although I don't think they really make a point of saying that for a while. No, but but you see the sign in this scene. Yeah. That's what this small town is. The big joke here is the water tower, which is a perfect sphere getting knocked down. Yes. And uh, going into a theater where the live action Raiders of the Lost Ark is playing. Yes. Because let me tell you, don't you worry. This movie has seen movies. Oh, my goodness. This movie has seen movies and watched <laughs> TV shows. Another thing that Water Tower Ball does is it squishes several cars in a row, which go, which honk in the tune of M-O-U-S-E. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and of course, the sky is falling. Yes. Chicken Little's like, the sky is falling. And they're like, What? So he goes to try to show them why he was under the tree and there was a piece of the sky and it looked like a kind of the shape of a stop sign. And everybody's like, oh, man, he's lost his mind. And then an acorn falls. and They're like, it was just an acorn. And his dad doesn't back him up or believe in Chicken Little. And so this is Chicken Little's big mistake. And uh, this is where we really start to notice the thing this movie does mostly in this opening scene, um, which is the fake handheld camera moves, which look very odd. Again, if I, I appreciate them for like trying something for going, yeah. what's something that we can do in computer animation that would be a nightmare or just outright impossible and hand drawn. And they're like, right. What if it looked like this opening scene was shot like by someone holding a camcorder? Yeah. Especially right at this part where everybody's talking to Chicken Little. I also am not really a fan of the the nonsense words where he's like, uh, I can't remember what he says, but, you know, it's like acorn head the what? And they're like, what did he say? Acorn head the what? You know, whatever it is. And I'm like, that's kind of a joke on its own, right? Where it's like. You know, what did you say? And he just literally repeats the same thing over and over again. Like, that's kind of that's kind of a Mel Brooks walk this way joke. But they do it three times here and then they keep doing it elsewhere in the movie. Yeah, there's a lot of weird mumbliness that they repeat. And it's like, that's not even funny, though. (laughs) There's a lot of that's not even funny. And then they do it five (laughs) more times in this movie. It's definitely, you know, I I said last week on Home on the Range, one of the most unpleasant types of movie is comedy that isn't funny. Yeah. And and this is that. But also wedded to drama that is largely annoying. So then we have one year later and this we have this montage during the one little slip song that you were uh, singing part of for the opener. 
with the title card finally. And I think this is my favorite or rather least least favorite mm-hmm. part. I don't know, there's some movement in this, there's yeah. some action. This is where I was really thinking they were doing a lot of camera movements like we can't do this in hand drawn, so let's do it here cuz we got the computer animation. Exactly. There's some interesting animation stuff and like it's more slapstick humor in this part rather than the nonstop pop culture references we're going to get. This <laughs> is where we, true. we start to call attention to the fact that Chicken Little is so tiny, which, by the way, was Eisner's other note. The other reason he said he wanted to be a boy is because he was like, ah, well, it's so hard to be short and a boy. <laughs> it's like, OK, Michael Eisner and your weird issues, <laughs> which is why, of course, Farquaad, who is a mean caricature of Michael Eisner, was short because it's something he was sensitive about, despite not being that short, I believe. I was like, he's not even that short. <laughs> yeah, he's six foot three, according to Google. So I don't know he's what he's short at all. <laughs> I don't know what he's so <laughs> upset about. Yeah, that's not short. <laughs> But it's it was such a thing of it. Listen, Michael Eisner is a weird guy. Well, maybe he didn't hit his growth spurt for a long time, right? Perhaps he spent a good chunk of his growing up years being the short kid. And that's why it made an impression on him. And then he was finally the tall kid. <laughs> I really don't know. And again, I just I really enjoyed this song. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can't stress that enough. I don't have like. I can be like, oh, what a brilliant song. It's just a really fun Bare Naked Ladies song. Yep. It has their clever kind of patter, you know, the whole a four course meal of no siree. Like the whole song is yeah. just different ways to say it was a big screw up. And then it has that fun little synth part that like do 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 do. I just I I enjoy it. I've enjoyed this song for a long time. And so maybe that's more than the scene itself. It just kind of triggers a good memory for me. Yeah. Yeah. So this is my by default favorite scene. <laughs> it's a good one. And I think uh, either before this or after this, we see that they're making a movie about him called Crazy Little Chicken. Yeah. Uh, which they're going to pay off later uh, in your favorite scene. Correct. And yeah, his his dad is just uh, Buck Cluck, the demon prince himself, (laughs) is basically just telling him like he literally says lie low forever. Yeah. Don't get your hopes up. Don't believe in yourself. Basically, like just hide the rest of your life. You should just go around with a bag on your head. Maybe I should go around with a bag on my head. Because I'm so ashamed of you. (laughs) Right. And just constantly talking about, you know, you embarrassed me so much. Right. Not realizing that this is, you know, his his child's actual life. Like, how do you think he feels? Yep. Here's my theory. I think that they're trying to make him over the top horrible as a joke. I think so, too. They're also trying to play this stuff seriously. And the result is that. For all of us watching it last night together, it didn't feel like a joke. Yeah. It felt like just a Buck Cluck is a horrible father, which is the last time I watched it. Also, my big takeaway is that Buck Cluck is absolutely one of the worst Disney parents. And he'll <laughs> really only continue to get worse from here. Yep. Which is why it's time for Gaston! <laughs> The show within a show where we... <laughs> 
give advice to guys, dudes, and bros of all ages based on that most masculine of properties, the Disney animated canon. <laughs> Fellow guys, don't be a terrible father. Like, I, I don't, I, like, obviously you should love your kid at all, even a little bit. Basically, just look at everything Buck Cluck does, and instead of doing that, don't. <laughs> you gotta love your child. You've got to support your child. And if your child completely burns their reputation, you gotta get them into an out-of-state college as fast as possible, <laughs> where they can reinvent themselves. <laughs> Buck Cluck... I hereby strip you of guy's status and <laughs> sentence you to the high court of doodliness. This has been the end of guy's stuff. <laughs> oh, doodliness. You don't want to go to the high court of doodliness. <laughs> Mainly because of the smell. Uh, I bet. I bet. Oh, so we meet, uh, once Chicken Little gets to school, we meet his classmates and friends. And also me, Jean-Luc a sheep. Yes, the teacher. But his good friends are Abby Mallard and Runt of the Litter, usually just called Runt, who is a gigantic pig, but he's apparently the runt to his family, even though he's the biggest of everyone in the school. The joke is that he's fat. And later, the joke is that he's also gay-coded. But mostly the joke is that he's fat. Yep. And his the other friend is Fish Out of Water, who is a fish wearing a diving helmet with water inside so that he can be out of the water. And you're like, oh, that's kind of a funny idea. It's at least a funny visual. And then in the very next scene, his first big thing is dancing to everybody dance now. And you're like, oh, they're not going to do anything with this. <laughs> he is a pretty funny character where he's just like, whatever he's doing, he's all in. Yep. He doesn't talk. That's a big plus. Yep. Just makes burbly noises. We also meet the bully, Foxy Loxy. Yes. And her friend, Goosey Lucy. Actually, technically, she's in the she's in the montage, but whatever. This is where we officially meet her. You know, this episode's going to be a little loosey-goosey, folks. It's <laughs> Chicken Little. We're not taking ourselves too seriously. But it, it's kind of interesting to make the bully a girl. Yeah. And that's about it. And what they do with her at the end is so weird and uncomfy. Yeah, it's true. So, you know, Chicken Little has a terrible day at school. They end up with a, as you said, with the squishy-squashiness where he ends up pulling the fire alarm accidentally because of all the dodgeball stuff. And so then he's in trouble. You know, it's like he's he keeps trying to talk about it's going to be a new day. I'm going to do a new me. You know, everybody will forget about crazy chicken, little crazy little chicken. And I will just be a normal person again. And of course, it doesn't work out like that. Right. Being at home is just as bad as being at school. Horrors abound. Yeah. Also, there's a lot of songs in this movie, and I didn't write them all down because there are so many. And most of them are just, you know, regular 
pop songs that either the characters are singing along to or it's going along in the background. And the only one that was original for this movie is One Little Slip. So and again, I think that comes from Shrek. Yeah, Uh, not the only one. I'll say also, I don't know how intentional this is. This movie feels a lot like Jimmy Neutron at times (laughs) in that it's about a bunch of kids who have to deal with an invasion of egg shaped aliens. (laughs) Either way, both of those movies have a ton of pop music in them. Yeah. And this feels like that, but every needle drop is brutal. They're the most obvious, unfunny, like hack choices for every single moment. Well, I'm wondering if they feel hack now, but didn't feel as hack originally. I think that's probably true of a lot of this movie. I think it has aged horribly. Oh, definitely. It has aged very badly. It plants itself so firmly in the 2000s, in 2005 specifically. It's so interesting because Emperor's New Groove, they were very careful to not have too many dated jokes. Right. And it still works. Right. They explicitly had the rule of no reference humor. And this movie is mostly reference humor. All reference humor, almost completely. I'm sure that's a studio note again. I feel I feel confident it it must. I mean, at least I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. So we do here finally have our mom status. She is gone, presumed dead. Her name was Chloe Cluck. I'm rolling my eyes since you can't see me. She's got to be dead. Pretty sure she's dead, though, because Buck Cluck talks to her picture and is like, oh, you know, I'm so sad you're gone. You were so much better at this stuff than me, which is where I was like, I'm so tired of the trope of dad is bad because doesn't know how to do emotion stuff like mom because mom is gone. Dad is bad. And it's like. You know, this is not necessarily true. Blaming all of your problems on women is not guy stuff. (laughs) There he goes. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's a monster. Uh, And that's how you know she's dead, because there's no way he would have gotten custody. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Very true. Yes. So and, and by the way, this part, they I forget what song they play here, but it's the saddest, sappiest song of all time. I I think it's called All I Know, but I wrote it down as the bruise song. (laughs) I bruise you, you bruise me. Yeah, by the way, a scene with a bad dad where the lyrics to the song are I bruise you. Not good. Bad choice. Yeah, yeah. But I I just wrote down my notes. How dare this movie try to have an emotion? Like everything (laughs) up to this point has been madcap zaniness. Everything after this point is madcap zaniness. Here we have to stop the movie dead to be like, do you care? And I'm like, no. So we found out earlier that Buck was a baseball star. And so Chicken Little decides he's going to try out for baseball to try to do something that his dad can be proud of him for, as opposed to always being embarrassed by him. And his dad explicitly tells him not to chase his dream or that he won't succeed. He's like, just don't get your hopes up too high. You failure, you failure of a child. (laughs) I should have gone back to the Bronx by the bee. Also earlier... Abby keeps telling Chicken Little that he needs to have a, you know, a real good talk with his dad for some closure, but they never actually do it for a very long time. We're making a lot of references to Cosmo magazine. Welcome Mm -hmm. to 2005. 
So, of course, Chicken Little does try out for the team. And the team is the acorns because, you know, oaky oaks. This part is so bizarre. This part more than any other, I don't understand why it's in the movie. It messes up the flow of the narrative real bad. The training montage for the baseball or just the whole thing about him going out for baseball? The whole baseball thing. Because, you know, it feels like we should be having the inciting incident of the movie now, which is, of course, the sky falls again. Mm -hmm. I don't understand what role this serves in the story. It takes really long. It's not funny. And it's like... Obviously, the big thing that happens is everyone's telling him to just walk uh, Foxy Loxy so they'll win the game, which almost certainly would work. And he kind of, in my opinion, it's like very selfishly. Yeah. Chooses to keep hitting. Swinging. Keep swinging. Gets a lucky shot. Hits a home run. Happens to hit a home run. Like it works out for him and he gets all the glory. But it's like. Well, that wasn't a very nice thing to do. Like, I know everyone's horrible to chicken. Everyone in this movie is horrible. But like, if you take this seriously at all, which again, the movie kind of wants you to. In this part, especially. The number one reason for kids to play sports, if you're not like a hyper competitive weirdo, is to learn teamwork. And he's being a very bad teammate. Like it's. He is. It's weird. It's I just kind of spend the whole thing going like, what am I supposed to get from this exactly? Well, and and how should I be feeling? I mean, your brain tells you, well, Chicken Little is the protagonist, so I should probably be rooting for him to win, even because Foxy Loxy is mean, even though she's usually the baseball star for the team. But at the same time, you're like, but that's not teamwork. Your coach is telling you to just stand there and take the walk so that Foxy Loxy can get up at bat. And he does end up winning them the pennant, which is great. You know, I don't begrudge that, but it's just a weird you don't get the right feelings in this scene. Definitely. I I guess what they're trying to do is like nobody believes in him, but they should because he's actually good at stuff. But they really muddle it yeah because he's not actually that good at it if he went up and they're like don't swing don't swing and he hits the ball first try because you see him you've been seeing him training and practicing and all this if he has improved and gets up there and he's like crack home run and everybody's in awe that would feel better than this i'm he's so small he can barely do anything he just happens to hit the home run and run the, you know, get there and get be safe. And it's like, you're right. You're totally right. Yeah. In this scene, though, we have some great mayor turkey lurky stuff, um, even though he actually looks kind of flat. This is one of the few animation things where I thought he looked very strange. Yeah, I like his design also of turkey lurky. It's, yeah. it's another they do have some very stylized designs in this. Sometimes it looks kind of weird, like bass mouth foxy luxy. <laughs> But Turkey Lurkey looks pretty funny. And, you know, turkeys look funny inherently. They do. But one of the funniest things is that all of his reactions are scripted for him by his handlers who are holding up signs for the things for him to do and say. It's a funny idea. It is. And of course, that evening, as Chicken Little is celebrating. Hang on. He's celebrating by singing We Are the Champions. Yep, of course he is. (laughs) 
and it starts happening and you're like, all right, well, again, this is like the most obvious. You just won a sporting event. What song are you going to sing? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, but whatever, this is sort of harmless. And then he sings the whole song, it feels like. I know he does it, but he sings so much of it. And you're like, knock it off. Movie, happen now, please. So then a piece of the sky falls and hits Chicken Little on the head again. It has the wishing star on it that he wished on that, you know, something would go right for him. And he's like, oh, no, I broke the wishing star. But it's a hexagonal piece of sky that as it whatever he puts it in front of, it camouflages as and he calls his friends a neat visual idea. Yep, it is. It's a neat visual idea. He calls his friends. Because he doesn't trust his dad at all. Yes, yes. Because his dad is not guy stuff. Though, you know, if he had shown it to his dad, at least then there would have been some proof. Like he shows it to his friends. Yeah, you're you're totally right. And also, of course, what are his friends doing when he calls them up? Karaoke. They are singing. What What are they singing here? I Wanna can't remember. Be. Oh, of course. Yep. Of course, because it's 2005. (laughs) And again, they sing so much of the song and it's like they do. It goes on for quite a while. This is not that funny. You're you're just singing a song that I know. Yep. like that's that's not in and of itself a joke. Mm-hmm. And like the karaoke stops and Rudd still sings the entire next verse. And it's like, mm-hmm. stop. I understand you probably spent a lot of money on this song, but knock it off. <laughs> you know, it, Lilo and Stitch, it licenses all the Elvis songs, but it's not like, and now you will sit here as the characters sing too much of an Elvis song. Yep. Anyway, then we see this is the part where we have a joke where we say the word P over and over and over and over and over again, which is terrific yes and the sky piece flies off yep fish pushes the button on the back and the hex flies back up to the sky with fish sitting on it and he's wearing a glow stick that then kind of is sticking out of the sky and they're all freaking out and chasing it and it ends up at the baseball field where there is a spaceship where it kind of lands and there's a whole spaceship that they can see now an alien spaceship. So they have to go rescue fish from the spaceship. And we're kind of almost done with the movie. <laughs> yeah, we're getting there. The aliens look like kind of egg-shaped metal creatures with all tentacly legs and things. And as they're exploring the ship with all kinds of, I mean, silly things are happening They do meet a furry little three-eyed triangle thing I put down. It's cute. It follows them around. Runt uh, whisper sings way too much of staying alive. Yep, because that's what calms him. He is, of course, the biggest, but also the scaredy cat. Scaredy pig. Anyway, they think that the ship is going to destroy Earth, and I wish it had. Probably would have been for the best. (laughs) Because they see a, a, you know, a mural or something with all the planets of the solar system with X's on them, except for Earth has a big circle around it. They're like, oh, no, which would have been more interesting. It would have been more interesting if this fully was just lean into it. Chicken Little is stopping an alien invasion. Yeah. 
that's sort of an idea. You know, it's it's the whole alien thing is kind of weird and dumb. And I can see why they initially abandoned it quite quickly. Yeah. But, you know, that would be interesting as opposed to this where it's I mean, I guess I'd seen it before, but it feels fairly obvious that, no, they're not really going to be bad. There's not really going to be stakes. They do rescue fish. And then as they're getting out of the ship, the aliens are coming back. They see that the little furry triangle thing is missing. And then they go into like chaser berserk mode. And of course, it's an alien movie. What do we got to have? A cornfield. Yeah, and we were like, oh, they're going to do crop circles. And then they don't just do crop circles, ladies and gentlemen. They do crop circles like in the movie Signs, where they're all weird shapes. Because this movie, I don't know if you know this. It's seen seen movies. movies. It has seen many movies this movie has. Chicken Little then does the bell ringing thing again. And the aliens don't like the sound. We can tell the bell ringing scares them off. Which really seems like something that they're going to pick up and use later in the movie, but it's not. Well, they briefly do it later, but not a lot. Yeah, it's so briefly. I'm, I completely missed it. You'll have to tell me where that is. I don't remember exactly, but so, uh, during the big invasion later, there is some slight bell ringing. That scene is so messy. It's so it hard very... to just follow moment to moment. So, of course, the entire town comes out again. Oh, it's Chicken Little again. And the his friends are like. No, no, trust us. And they run. He's like, look, there's an alien spaceship. Come and see. It's in the baseball field, which is surrounded by a fence. So they can't just see it. And he's like, come quick, quick. It's taking off. Come and look. And they're all running. And then Turkey Lurkey stops. He's like, oh, a penny. (laughs) I think the penny joke is funny. I think it's funnier later when he goes, apart from the penny, this whole thing was a waste of time. I think he says this whole evening was a wash, which is also funny because he was taking a bath when the bell went off. That's right. And also him in the bird bath is a funny visual. Turkey Lurkey, truly the MVP of this movie. (laughs) You know what? I would vote for Turkey Lurkey. Then, of course, they miss being able to see the spaceship because it camouflages again. And Chicken Little actually even says to his father, you've got to believe me. Trust me. Back me up. You're my dad. And he's like, nope, (laughs) I don't believe you. You're a loony. It's even worse. The way it's phrased is, Dad, you have to believe me. To which he replies, no, son, I don't. Ouchie. No, son, I don't have to be a good dad. Yes. Original raise. (laughs) The small furry alien got left behind. The very next scene, the very next. We have this whole scene about how, oh, the sky's falling again. Nobody believes him. Yep. yep. And before that breeds at all, the very next scene, alien invasion, everyone believes him. It's like the next day, but still, it goes really fast. And there's that horrible scene at the beginning of the next day where the dad is answering all the phone calls and apologizing to everybody for what his son has done and getting hate mail. And it's like, oh, the dad is suffering, too. Just so we can have you've got mail. You've got hate mail. Yes. And there's uh, the funniest joke ever at the time, which was what if an Apple computer, but in the shape of a different fruit? I think it's a pear or something. I couldn't quite tell. I wasn't even paying attention to that part. 
they just they just got them all in, Mom. Yep. Every joke you would think of, like, what's the most obvious joke that they might do with the computer? Is they yes. do it? They should just put the Affleck duck in it, man. Just they get might your as well millions, have, right? <laughs> it wouldn't be any more creatively bankrupt, but you could get some cash. Mark. The small the small alien finds Chicken Little and is like trying to make friends. They can't understand it except. Fish can apparently understand what the alien is saying and they can understand what Fish is saying. For the first time. The little alien's name is Kirby. And then the sky cracks open and there's many spaceships and it's a whole alien invasion trying to find little Kirby. And what song do we have now? Uh, <laughs> well... It's an end of the world scene. So what's the most obvious possible choice? It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. And also, I want to note again. So right after the scene where the uh, where we've not believed about the sky is falling, we've proved the sky is falling and Chicken Little talks to his dad and his dad is like, yeah, yeah, I know you were right about everything. All right, but we got to go. And it's like, no, hang on. Yeah. The moment where his dad and the rest of the town realizes that he was right and the sky actually was falling, so to speak, both times should be a huge deal. It should be a monumental turning point. Right. But we're already on to this undercooked alien thing that we just introduced less than 60 seconds ago. Yep. It's just it's not even functional as a movie at all on any level. It's not even like it fails at what it's trying to do. It fails to do anything. Yep. Let's talk about Chicken Run instead. So Chicken <laughs> Run was an Ardman movie. It was great. Uh, it starred Mel Gibson and uh, uh, I, I can't remember the names of everyone else. It's a lot of British and Scottish actors. And it's just really interesting a metaphor for World War II. So in the first scene, uh, Ginger is trying to <laughs> escape. Okay, fine. Uh, what, what happens? Chicken Little is trying to get Kirby back to his parents to stop the invasion. And his dad is trying to take him and be like, we got to get out of here. And still not listening to Chicken Little. So finally, they're in the theater or something. And they finally have their big talk where chicken little finally comes out and says to his dad you're the worst basically you know with a little more detail than that specifically calling out how he's the worst but that's the thing when he lays it all out you're like this is really horrible it is <laughs> and the dad is like oh i didn't realize how bad of a dad i was being i'm very sorry blame it on dead mom again i will totally believe you now <laughs> And it's like, how did you? The fact that he responds with, I didn't realize is maybe the worst possible response. Cause it's like, yeah, they, like you said, they try to play in this movie as, you know, oh, he just doesn't get fatherhood. And it's like, you should know to trust your child, to care about your child, to take your child's side in things, and to at least pay attention. To what your child is feeling because it's pretty dang obvious you can also kind of like put yourself in child's shoes like 
how would child be feeling in a situation where the entire town hates his guts? Maybe I should support my child in this. Anyway. You're right. I'm sorry. I don't want to. We're about to do Brother Bear again, where we spend too much on the bad part. We don't want to belabor the point. But this is so bad. But clunk prison immediately. <laughs> uh, and then after this, the really annoying thing they do with him is he's like too supportive. He's super because he still doesn't know how to be supportive is the joke question mark. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, you're going to be. I, I support you. <laughs> it's like, well, that's not right either. Too. That's why it feels like it's trying to be a joke. But I don't. It's not a good joke. This is also where we have. He kisses Abby and you're like this. This is in this movie. Yeah. OK. 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 This movie. And then. So they all rendezvous with everyone else. Also, Turkey Lurkey uh, surrenders in a moment that is, again, pretty funny. Yep. yep. But they they rendezvous with everyone else. And we've set up previously. This is the like, oh, he's kind of gay moment where uh, Runt loves Barbara Streisand. Not that that has anything to do with being gay, but it's a classic like stereotype. And and I saw other people writing about this, too. So I was like, oh, good. It's not just my horrible brain. <laughs> a lot of people have drawn this connection. But the point is, the reason they set that up is just so that here somebody could say we will survive. And then Runt of the Litter sings I will survive. Yep. And I was tearing my hairs out. <laughs> I was like, you already did it's just i can't take it anymore with the needle drops pick the needle up put it away i didn't even write that one down so i was like it's just too much it's too much too many i don't care i didn't care anymore (laughs) they end up all getting zapped by the lasers whatever and they end up in a dark floaty space with everybody else But finally, they are able to show the aliens that, look, it's your child. He's okay. And um, there's silly stuff with the aliens, as we said, where basically it turns out they are not bad guys after all. They are just aliens who are traveling through because they like acorns. And this is the best place for acorns. And they just are swinging by once a year to grab some acorns and get on their way. But, you know, their child got lost. This whole last part of the movie is just we're explaining this. We're explaining that. We're explaining that. Like, just, you know, it's just this big exposition dub. And also, by kidnapping their child, the Earthlings have violated intergalactic law 90210, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) I told you it has not only seen movies, it has seen TV. (laughs) Well, this is where we have the alien cop moment with Patrick Warburton. I mean, he's pretty funny. He's he's funnier in this than he was in Home on the Range. And Foxy Loxy has somehow had her brain scrambled. Yes, when she gets un un like zapped out of the floaty black space. This is like five problematic things at once. Because number one, she's good now, which means that she's extremely feminine. And it's like well, hang on. The problem is not that she was a tomboy and good at sports. That was all no, fine. Yeah, the problem is that she was um, she was mean. But now she has no interest in sports and she's super girly and she likes to sing. And this is because her brain has been scrambled. So like she has lo- literally lost her mind and uh, Patrick Warburton offers to change it back. And uh, <laughs> run to the litter is like, no, this is better. And it's like, 
It's just horrendous. It's just a really. And now, and he's like, it's like he loves her now because she's she's into music like he is. Oh, now that she's brain damaged, she likes me. Keep her that way. It's weird. It's weird. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. It's it's a joke, but it's bad. You could just have it be Chicken Little. I was wrong about you. You saved the town. I'll help you be better at baseball. Yeah. That it really could, <laughs> it really could just be that. It really could be that she has, you know, an actual character arc, not a brain damage moment. Because the other thing is like, yeah, she's a bully. It's very bad to bully. She's also a kid. She can be set on the straight and narrow. She's not necessarily going to be a bully forever. She's not like an irredeemably horrible person. No, I don't know. So, uh. There is also uh, uh, one of the aliens checks his watch and it's a three eyed Mickey head. That's something it is. He's got a Mickey watch with three eyes. And then even though the movie is over, we're going to have one last extended joke, which fortunately is fairly amusing. This is the movie within a movie. Instead of making crazy little chicken movie, they make the movie of him saving the town The whole joke is that it's called Chicken Little, the true story. And then it's so exaggerated. Yes. Chicken Little, instead of being a small chicken, is a very large buff chicken. And he is called Ace, which is a nickname that they set up earlier. It's fine. And he's voiced by Adam West. And it's very much like the original Star Trek series. At first, I I have to be honest. I actually thought it was Shatner at first. <laughs> then I realized pretty quick it was Adam West. Yep. But because it's so Star Trek and because they do have kind of a similar voice and delivery. Yeah, I think he's probably intentionally making it more like that. I love Adam West, by Me the too. way. Me um, too. And I, I enjoy this little moment with him and I, I, I miss him. I laughed quite a bit at this scene. It's so dumb, but it's quite funny. I'll tell you, there's a there's a story that always kind of makes me tear up a little bit that I saw recently because people were talking about the Batman and a lot of people, myself included, revisited Adam West version because we're just sick of the dark Batman of the now. Right. And there's a there's a critic and a commentator and I don't know what you call him now podcaster, but who I like who talks about movies called Will Sloan. And he shared this story about how one of his early interviews was with Adam West, who is his favorite Batman. And he said to him, yeah, I'm sure you're tired of hearing this, but you were my hero when I was a kid. And Adam West just respond like very close to death, as I recall, Adam West responded, I never get tired of hearing that. And I was like, oh, man, Aww. what a good guy. What a good and genuinely funny guy. I think yep. that's the thing we realize now that people didn't necessarily realize at the time, which is that he knew it was funny. Yeah, he was being funny on purpose. Yep. Anyway, I love Adam West. I've been thinking about him recently. So seeing him in this, it's it's a real treat. Yep, it definitely was. And then we look in the audience and there's a whole bunch of dumb stuff happening and, and don't worry about it. Doesn't matter. The movie's over. Yep. Chicken Little's the hero. Except. Except for the credit songs. We have two more songs. We have Ain't No Mountain High Enough. 
And then we have the extended sequence. No, we have Don't Go Breaking. When do we have Ain't No Mountain High Enough? I think it's in the movie itself or it's being sung like as the movie ends. But then, of course, yes, in the credits, then we have everyone singing. Don't go breaking my heart. We have all the characters singing this and dancing and doing silly stuff. Stop it. Stop. Stop playing music. I know. Knock it off. And then we have Shake a Tail Feather after that, just in the regular credits part. And then there's even still a little bit of score. Like there's a long credits sequence. The score for this movie, by the way, was done by Alan Menkant. <laughs> Actually, it was done by John Debney, who is has composed for a lot of Disney stuff, but like not anything recognizable. He does a lot of like the park music and just kind of incidental stuff for television. And uh, and he did this. And he was also nominated for an Academy Award for the horrible anti-Semitic uh, Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. So uh, good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Schmuck. <laughs> uh, the score for this movie sucks. The, it's all of it. Burn it to the ground. Burn every print of this. <laughs> Let it never be seen again. Oh, but he did do Dora and the Lost City of Gold, which is a fun movie, though. I can't remember anything about the uh, soundtrack. If you want a guide to give you a default soundtrack, John Debney is there. Seems like. Can you believe there's sequels, spin-offs, remakes, rides, and reboots? Yep, there's not a lot, but there's a little. There's really not a lot. So there was going to be a direct-to-video sequel to this. It would have been directed by Clay Hall, who would go on to direct Planes. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure it would have been a masterpiece, and it would have been focused on uh, Abby. What I saw was it was like a love triangle. There's some like foreign exchange sheep student who there's a love triangle with Chicken Little and this other person and Abby. And so then Abby's like, uh, like trying to get a whole makeover. So she's not ugly anymore. Oh, oh, no. And I I also heard, I, I couldn't substantiate this, but I heard part of the plot was going to involve them going to Mars. That was another thing I saw. I was trying to decide if that was actually true or if that was a, like another version. I don't know. It was very strange. It's apocryphal, but maybe they would have gone to Mars, which would have made it feel, I think, even more like Jimmy Neutron, where they actually go into space. Yeah. There's a couple of... Uh, Meet and greet characters. Not too horrible. Not not too horrible, all things considered. They have deliberately made Abby less unpleasant looking. Well, of course, Chicken Little and Abby Mallard were pretty much the only walk around characters they had when the movie first came out. As far as I know, they're not ever seen again. (laughs) There were a couple video games are the main thing that I looked into which is there was a 2005 video game just called Chicken Little. I watched this being played. It just looks like your classic lousy platformer. It's it's pretty much like these other Disney action games we've talked about and not a particularly good version of it. It's also apparently built on the same engine and like even has so many levels and stuff similar that some people suspect there's some copy and pasting going on <laughs> to the completely forgotten Tack and the power of Juju. You remember oh, that? Oh, the name is familiar. I had forgotten about that. Tack and the power of Juju was this weird thing where they were like, we're going to release a video game and an animated series and like this whole 
you know, universe of material all at the same time. And kids are going to love it. Kids did not love it. Nobody watched <laughs> it. Be- probably because it was called Tack and the Power of Juju. Yeah. But uh, whatever. So apparently they took that failed game. They made it into this failed game. Uh, really can't stress enough, by the way. I know I mentioned it early, but really have to stress the reviews for this were brutal. Like yeah. we were talking about how this movie has aged so poorly, and that's true. But even at the time, you know, A.O. Scott for The New York Times called it a hectic, uninspired pastiche of catchphrases and cliches with very little wit, inspiration or originality to bring its frantically moving images to genuine life, which I fully agree with. Yeah. And just a few years after it was lots of people were talking about it as the worst Disney movie ever, which I still don't agree with. I don't think it's the worst. It's not. Fox and the Hound is Untoppable. I think so. There's nothing after this that even comes close. This was the last chance for something to be that bad. But no, Fox and the Hound, it's the ugliest. It's the most boring. It's the most Fox. It's the most Hound. (laughs) But anyway, so people hated this movie. So people were not into a game of it either. Right. Um, But there was a slightly more successful game that I watched it actually looks pretty funny and uh, pretty good. This It's kind of a Ratchet and Clank-esque fun platforming shooter with a lot of interesting mechanics. Generally well received. It was called Disney's Chicken Little Ace in Action. And it's a video game specifically based on the movie within the movie. So to be clear, it's a video game based on a movie within a movie based on a fairy tale. For those <laughs> of you paying attention at home. And uh, it got... Uh, most of the voice actors back, if not all. Uh, most importantly, it gets Adam West back. And definitely he's just a ton of fun. He's yeah. just having a blast clearly throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's this cool sci fi shooter. And it kind of makes you wish the movie was mostly about these characters. It does also have a, mecha- uh, a thing where like the conceit of the game is that the characters from the Chicken Little movie are playing this game <laughs> that exists in their universe and they comment on it occasionally. Yeah, it, it looks all right. It looks all, it looks like the best thing associated with this movie, including the movie itself. <laughs> Chicken Little is also bizarrely in Kingdom Hearts 2. I say bizarrely because usually the Kingdom Hearts games want to feature the most popular Disney properties, yeah. not uh, the Chicken Little, <laughs> where they did bring back uh, Zach Braff. It's weird. It's all weird. Yep. Everything's weird. The tagline for this movie was the end is near and the poster was a picture of a butt. Yep. Bust a moo on November 4th. <laughs> this movie came out on my birthday. Came out on November 4th. It's true. 2005. I remember thinking how weird it was that the sky actually was falling since that's like the opposite of the chicken little fairy tale. But I I mean, that didn't like completely, you know, destroy it for me. I was just like, I know Disney messes with stories, but making the story the exact opposite of what it really is. That's pretty strange. They do. They completely ignore the like what the fable is about again, the which is an would have been an interesting story to play with, but it's because from that Dindle interview, like he 
just wanted to make a movie that was mostly funny. Again, yeah. it's they wanted to do the Empress New Groove thing where it's like it's mostly funny, but we have this one real relationship, which is the daughter and her dad, which is what the finished movie is also trying to do, where it's yeah. mostly funny, but we have this one real relationship, which is the chicken and his dad. So he thought it would be funny to have a chicken little movie where the sky actually is falling. Which, you know, that that is a funny joke. It just it didn't come together. No, no, no. And I'm guessing that, uh, you know, if we were to rate this movie using two questions rather than numerically, and I were to ask you, would you recommend this movie? You would say, yes, of course. I would say not really. <laughs> what? <laughs> My mom, it featured songs, you know. Yes. And movies, I know. And television shows you have heard the name of. It's true. It wasn't quite as bad with Home on the Range when we watched that. There were so many things that I was like, now you're making me think of better movies I wish I was watching. This one actually just references better movies you wish you were watching straight out. Like, you don't have to be like, oh, this feels a little bit like, no, we're just going to call out other movie. Yeah, it's not like, oh, stylistically, this is kind of like, no, it's just pointing at the sign from signs and going, you get it? <laughs> you get it? Do you get it? Go watch any Don Knotts movie instead. Pretty much any other Don Knotts movie. Not Air Buddies. <laughs> other than that, pretty much pick one at random. You'll have a you'll have a good time. And would you show this to a child? Um, I think it's fine to show to a child. It's not great. The humor is very dated, as we said, but a young child would enjoy the silly colors and lights. You might want to talk to them about how this is not how dads be. (laughs) (laughs) There's some really inappropriate jokes, but I do think they'll mostly go over a kid's head. There's one wildly inappropriate joke we can't even talk about, but I was astonished. There's so many references that just go by like I could not keep track. This is the first movie I've seen that I couldn't find anyone being like, this is my favorite. And maybe it is. <laughs> I suppose you could write into the mailbag at memommouse at gmail.com. That's M-E-M-O-M-M-O-U-S-E at gmail.com. But uh, I don't think this is anyone's. There are some people who are like, I don't know why people are so hard in that movie, yeah. which I hope we've explained why. <laughs> but uh, I don't think there's anyone who's like, oh, this is my favorite. There are some people who are like, I don't hate it. Yeah. I mean, I don't hate it. Yeah, I kind of hate it. (laughs) But I don't know. Because of where this is positioned and because of all the chaos that was going on at Disney at the time, it can't help but feel like the Nadir. Even if it's not actually that. It and Fox and the Hound are, I think, like both times Disney has hit in the public eye its lowest point. Yeah. And then in both cases, it it manages to course correct. And next week we will be talking about that course correction. Unless you have anything else to say about this. Nope. I'm good. With Meet the Robinsons from 2007. Mom, what do you think of that movie? I kind of feel like we've turned the corner. <laughs> we did it. We survived. We did. I will survive. <laughs> I don't know any of the words to that song. Mom, can you sing all of I Will Survive for us right now? No, I don't know the words either. Okay, well, then you're not going to be able to do that. Yep. Well, this has been a podcast. This has been a podcast. <laughs> I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. I'm scared. I'm sad. We talked about so many bad movies. 
Will movies ever be good again? Well, when you're down, they can only go up from here. Until next time, when we'll probably have another podcast, or maybe my brain will have turned porridge. I'm me. And I'm Mom. And it all started with a mouse. Or a chicken. No, I think it was a mouse. I'm pretty sure it was a mouse. A three-eyed mouse. <laughs> <laughs>